Corner Fringe Ministries presents a 12-part series on the divine nature of God. Please enjoy the study. Today, we are going to begin a new series on the divine nature of the God of Israel. And over the next couple weeks, we are going to relentlessly, tirelessly comb through the scriptural text to find out whether the Bible actually supports God existing in a triunity state, in a triune form. In other words, Father, Son, Yeshua, Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. Thus, if you were to take the position of the triune God, you would hence worship Yeshua, the Son of God, as God. Very important you understand that. Or, does the Bible teach us something completely different? Does the Bible teach us that God exists only in single form as Father and Father alone? The Father is God alone. Certainly a subject of this magnitude has to be approached very, very carefully with a delicate hand. You know, as believers in Yeshua, we have the responsibility. We have a great responsibility no matter how bad we feel something in our heart and we want to believe something, we are required to show discipline. We must show spiritual maturity by being Berean. Resist our own internal impulses and allow the scriptures to define and formulate our theology rather than going out and injecting our own beliefs upon the text. That would be committing eisegesis versus exegeting the passage. So the best way to approach this subject, I believe, the way we should be approaching every subject from a theological basis, is to analyze, gather, compile all the scriptural evidence that pertains to this topic, to the topic of the Godhead, to his divine nature, and let God describe himself rather than reading into the text. Now, before we begin, I want to do something. I want to put this subject, the study of God's divine nature, I want to put it into context so that we can appreciate the gravity of what we're about to embark on. And I'm going to do this by beginning in Isaiah 55, 8. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts than your thoughts. Very clearly, the Lord is establishing his preeminence over man. You need to understand, the Lord is coming out to bring reality to the situation, lest we become puffed up in our minds and elevate ourselves to his level. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is the Lord, mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. This is so beautiful. We are limited. God is unlimited. We are finite. He is infinite. Amen? Listen to these words of Paul in the epistle to the Romans. Paul is masterful at how he expresses the glory of the living God. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be paid to him? Paul eloquently describes the supremacy of the living God. His ways are so magnificent that they're beyond our reach. 
They're past finding out. I want you to consider something for a minute. For hundreds of years, for even thousands of years, we have had the brightest minds on the face of the planet devoting every day of their lives, their entirety of their lives, toward one particular thing which our God has created. Whether they're physicists, neuroscientists, botanists, chemists, biologists, biochemists, whatever their field is, we have men throughout generation after generation devoting their lives to studying one thing that God has made. And it's so fascinating because this person had devoted his life in the early generation and his entire work to figuring out one aspect, whether it's a botanist and he's dealing with leaves and how it's, uh, how it's exposed to the environment and how it operates with the sun and water and all these things. Then you have others who are studying the stars and they give their life and then the next generation comes up and that generation works off the previous work of the previous man. And you go from century to century to century, generation to generation, and you know what? They still haven't found who God is, what, what he has designed. These beautiful designs, they have found no end. Because every day we build a telescope that is bigger than the last one. And we find out how unsearchable God really is. We build microscopes. Little things you cannot see to the naked eye. We build new ones that are more powerful than the one before. And they discover a whole new world. Truly, our God is past finding out, amen? So with that said, <laughs> when you approach a subject of this magnitude, I think it's in our best interest to proceed with reverence, to proceed with humility. Now, while it is true that his ways are past finding out, we know that. Does this mean we can't understand the divine nature on any level? Of course not. We can, and I'm saying we, we can understand it, but only to the extent that he allows. Only to the extent that God has provided in his word. Amen? Because we do find throughout scripture several passages that actually relate and pertain exclusively to his divine nature for the express purpose, for giving his children that knowledge. That is the express purpose. He wants us to understand his nature, his complexity, of who he really is. Now, I want to share with you what actually prompted me to do this study. It is long overdue. It appears, and this is nothing new, this will go back as early as the late or second century. It appears that the nature, the divine nature of our God is under attack. It is being disputed. Let me explain. There is a movement known as the Unitarian movement. What is a Unitarian? Very simply put, a Unitarian is a person who maintains that God is one being rejecting the doctrine of the Trinity. That's what a Unitarian is. Not to be confused with Unitarian Universalist, Unitarian uh, Universalism. Th those are people that come into one building like this bringing their gods with them. Everybody serves a different god. It doesn't matter what you believe, there's no truth. It's, it's modern day hippie theology. It's coming in, we just, all that matters is love. There's no moral absolutes. There's no moral truth. It's a land of ambiguity. Whatever I devise is right. What, however I find my sacred path, that's hippie theology. That is not what this is about. This study is about something completely different. It's about Unitarianism. It's about those who refute the Godhead as being Father, Son, Spirit. Now, understand, there are two different, really, groups of Unitarians. 
There are evangelical Christian Unitarians. And then you have Messianic Unitarians. And I can tell you, I am meeting more and more Messianic Unitarians as the days go on, who are taking the position that Yeshua is simply not God. He's not God. He's the Son. He's the Mashiach. He's not God. And they feel, in their return to their Hebrew roots, they're returning to the first century church, and the way that the first century church actually understood the divine nature of our God. And when we look at the concept of the Trinity, when they, when they look at this concept, what they see in their eyes and what they understand is that it is a perversion of the gospel. They see a perversion. What they see is that the church has done what it always has done, embrace syncretism. So what I want to do is I want to show you a few things that the Unitarians believe so that you, you get a good idea where they're coming from. Number one, they believe Yeshua was sent from God. They believe Yeshua is the Mashiach. He's the one prophesied from the Old Testament and came to fruition, was brought to revelation. I believe that. I hope you do as well. This is scriptural truth. Secondly, they believe Yeshua was conceived by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. Immaculate conception. I believe that. That's in scripture. It's true. Number three, they believe Yeshua died and rose again for the purpose of taking away the sins of humanity. I believe this. This is true. It sounds like we believe pretty much the same things, right? Number four, they believe Yeshua is man. I affirm that. That's the scriptural testimony. We're really together until number five. They believe God in his divine nature is one, singular, the Father alone is God. See, that's where we differ. Let me share with you a few things of what they don't believe. Unitarians don't believe that Yeshua pre-existed before he was manifest in the flesh. Meaning, Yeshua only existed when he was brought into, Yanao, brought into existence from the womb of Miriam. When he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, yes, it was foreordained that he was to come to the earth to atone for the sins of the world, but he was never brought into existence until the Holy Spirit conceived him in Miriam's womb. They don't believe that Yeshua was worshipped in a religious context. Now, I want to add, to, in fairness to the Unitarians, they believe Yeshua was worshipped. I want to make that clear. They believe Yeshua was worshipped. They do not believe that he was worshipped in a religious context. That's very important. We're going to get into that more next week. And obviously, they do not believe in the Trinity or the Godhead, and hence, they do not believe Yeshua was or is deity to be on the level of God, to be worshipped as God. So basically, we have this. Unitarians believe only God the Father holds the title of God. And that the Son, he is a glorified man. And the Holy Spirit is the operational presence and power of God, which is given to believers who believe in the Mashiach. Okay? Now, I understand for some of you the very thought of even taking in consideration that Yeshua, being the Son of God, isn't a problem. It never has been a problem. Maybe you grew up believing Yeshua was God, and you worshipped him that way. However, what you need to know there are others who perceive that very act, who also believe Yeshua is the Messiah. 
and paid for the sins of the world who would call you an idolater. You're a heretic because you've elevated a man to the status of God. And did you know that this is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to preventing the Jewish people from coming into the faith? Did you know that? I want to ask this question, and we're going to come back to it. Please remember it. We're going to come back to this in the study. Could something that has caused such a stumbling block for the Jewish people really be truth? We need to ask that question. Listen to the words of this Orthodox rabbi. Listen to what he says. He says, Worship of any three-part God by a Jew is nothing less than a form of idolatry. The three-part God of Christianity is not the God of Judaism. Therefore, in the Jewish view, Christianity may very well be a variation of idolatry. Maybe we as believers who worship Yeshua in a religious context, maybe we need to think things through more carefully. Maybe the composition of our God as defined in Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, maybe it's wrong. Is it possible, is it even conceivable that Christianity has perverted truth? I mean, just to ask that question, study history, it's very possible. You know, Jews view the Trinity theology as nothing more than a pagan religion. Some of the most influential Orthodox rabbis today would uh, they'd come out and admit right to your face with a sincere heart looking for your best interest. And they will tell you Yeshua isn't God, couldn't be God, never will be God. Because he's a man. And that if you actually knew what the Hebrew Bible said, you would find that you yourself are deceived because the Bible clearly states that with no ambiguity that there is one God, Adonai Echad. And furthermore, it demands that we worship only him. So to worship anyone but yod heh vav the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh, is heresy. I want you to understand what is at stake here. We have two opposing positions from Unitarians to Trinitarians. But what is at stake? What's the foundation? What is really at stake? Worship. This is what is going to have to be compromised. Worship. Because if you take a Unitarian stance, you cannot worship Yeshua as the Son of God, as in religious context, as being God. You can't. And this is what is at stake. Worship. Let me be crystal clear. I don't believe in three gods. I never have, I never will. Scripture is quite clear. There is only one God. Okay? I'm a monotheist through and through. However, where I differ with Unitarians is how we describe that one God. How we understand that one God. I know our God, the God of Israel, exists as Father, Son, and Ruach HaKodesh. That's the confession. This is what this study is all about. Looking to see what the scriptures have to say in regard to his divine nature. Now, I am going to do something today that I have never done before. I am going to argue on behalf of the Unitarian position. You might say you're completely mad. I need to do this for the purpose of seeing if you are even equipped to defend the faith. That's my job. It's imperative that you know the arguments, that you understand their position, and all the scriptures that they're going to use to defend their position. 
And as I argue their position, I really want you to experience what it's like to encounter a learned Unitarian. You know, I can tell you, I have debated many Unitarians over the years. And I can tell you the most intense debates I've ever had, and I've debated on Torah, I've debated on Sabbath, I've debated on the festivals, I've had so many of these debates, none of those, those pale in comparisons to the debates I've had with Unitarians. They are intense. And boy, you better be equipped. Because a sharp Unitarian who's learned in the scriptures will take you by storm. They will chew you up and they will spit you out. You won't know up from down when you leave the table. So, with that said, I don't want you to get offended at what I'm about to do. But you just need to experience this. Keep your wits about you. We're doing this study so that you can defend the faith. You have a responsibility to defend the faith. And as defenders of the faith, you have to be equipped. You have to have the answers. You have to be able to refute. Not just for your soul, but the soul of the person sitting next to you. Amen? So, disclaimer. I am not a Unitarian. Okay? This is so important that everyone understand this because it's going to get intense. And we're going to start right now. Number one, God is one. Achad. He is not three. Do you know that this is the most fundamental concept in all of Scripture? Do you realize the Trinity? The word is never mentioned in Scripture once. It's a figment of your imagination. You had to contrive it. You had to read it into the text because it doesn't exist. The only place that you find pluralism is in pagan religions. God being achad, being one, is the very basis of the Jewish faith. For thousands of years, the Jewish people, they have only believed in one God. The most prominent Jewish prayer of all time is the Shema. And do you understand that the Shema is the Magna Carta of the Jewish faith? It is the Magna Carta of the faith. And what does it say? Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a statement of proclamation of declaration. It's the Magna Carta of the faith. The very concept of Trinity is completely incompatible with Scripture. It's incompatible with the Jewish faith. You need to realize, my friends, what the Christian church has done. The Christian church has perverted the most fundamental principle in all of the Hebrew faith. And if you just study a little bit of church history, you'll realize that it's no secret that pagan practices have been adopted by the church. You have the church taking upon its own authority to change God's commandments. You had Saturday, which was the Sabbath. The church on its own authority comes in, strips it, and moves it to Sunday. Not a real good history here. Oh, yeah. All God's holy days, they've been stripped from the church. Now we institute pagan practices, pagan holy days, holidays, such as Christmas. And we'll worship, and we'll throw the name of Jesus right on it, and we'll say he was born December 25th, the very day Sol Invictus was born. God Mithra. What paganism. Oh, and then we're going to take away Pesach, and we're going to replace that with the, to serve the goddess Ishtar. And we're going to start looking for Easter eggs on the day where we changed the Sabbath, on Sunday. And then we're going to slap Jesus' name on it, and we're going to call it beautiful and good. The Resurrection Sunday. We could go on. 
Is it any surprise that the theological belief of the Trinity has been applied to Judeo-Christianity when you just look at church history? Is it any wonder? Do you not know that Trinity religions existed long before Yeshua ever was revealed to the world? Did you know that? Trinity religions existed long before. You have Brahmanism, where they served uh, Brahma and Vishnu and Siva. They called it the Triamorti, the Trinity God. Long before Yeshua ever came on the scene. What about Isis, Osiris, and Horus? A trinity religion that predates the coming of Yeshua by centuries upon centuries. Listen to what this Egyptologist has to say. Fascinating. In Osiris, the Christian Egyptians found the prototype of Christ. And in the pictures of the statues of Isis suckling her son Horus, they perceived the prototype of the Virgin Mary and her child. Never did Christianity find elsewhere in the world a people whose minds were so thoroughly well prepared to receive its doctrines as the Egyptians. What is he saying? The Egyptians, they were doing that. They were serving plural gods. This was perfect. You come bringing Christianity and you're bringing me nothing new. This is easy to accept. This should be quite alarming to you. Again, just to reiterate, Jewish people never understood the God of Israel and multiplicity. And have you read the New Testament? I'm sure you have. Because the New Testament itself holds fast to the true organic fundamental principle of God being a chad, being one, singular, that the Father alone is God. You guys ready for this? We're going to go look at what the Apostle Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5. For there are so many called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Interesting, where is Paul? What is this letter to? Yeah, it's to the Corinthians, who were deeply rooted in what? Greek culture, Greek mythology. Gods upon gods upon gods. Listen to what Paul says in verse 5. 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. This is very simple. For us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, through whom are all things and through whom we live. The Apostle Paul, a learned Jew, by the way, clarifies to the Corinthians that there is only one God. And then he further goes on to specify that one God as Father. And then he goes on to describe Yeshua as Lord. Understand this statement, what Paul just did here, identifying the Father as God, Yeshua as Lord, this is the predominant testimony in the New Testament. This is what you will find over and over again. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, okay, one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Messiah Yeshua. One God, one mediator between God and men, the Messiah Yeshua. Paul makes a distinction here between God and the mediator. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Do you get that? Okay. Head of every woman is man. Head of every man is Christ, the head of Christ, is God. Paul just built the ladder here of understanding. It's very clear. 
Listen to Yeshua's own testimony. How does Yeshua perceive this? John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Yeshua's praying on behalf of his disciples to the Father. That they may know you, the only true God. And Yeshua HaMashiach, who you have sent. It's interesting, Yeshua makes a distinction here. That they may know you, the only true God. Again, we have the Lord's own testimony in the book of Isaiah. What does he say? Isaiah 45, 5. I am Yahweh. There is no other. There is no other God besides me. End of discussion. So the scriptural testimony here, my friends, couldn't be clearer. The Father alone is God. Yes, Yeshua is Mashiach, but don't make him God. He's Lord, but don't make him the one God, the one true God. Have you ever read Numbers 23? Did you know that Scripture actually states that God is not a man? God is not a man. That's exactly what it states. God is not a man. Yet we just read in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Messiah Yeshua. Numbers 23, God is not a man. The testimony here in the New Testament, Yeshua is a man. In fact, if you don't believe this, then you are actually deceived and you are of the spirit of Antichrist. Look at what it says in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua HaMashiach has come in the flesh is of God. Our very confession is that he came as a man. In verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua HaMashiach has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Another thing we need to consider is that Scripture also states no one has seen God at any time. This fact is clear. Exodus 33, verse 20, and Moshe, a conversation between Moshe and Yahweh, and the Lord says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. You cannot see him. You will die. This is very simple. Go to 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6. It talks about he dwells in unapproachable light. When the children of Israel, they came to Mount Sinai to enter into covenant of God, what did it say? It said they heard his voice, but they saw no form. Why? Because they would all died. What's the testimony in the New Testament regarding seeing God and living? 1 John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. And if you missed it there, John again reiterates it in his short epistle, 1 John chapter 4, no one has seen God at any time. Now, I don't think there's a person here that would dispute Yeshua was seen when he came or that Yeshua was a man. He was both a man and he was also seen. Follow this to its logical conclusion. How exactly do you propose Yeshua is God when Scripture from both the Old and New Testament state that no one can see God and live? I mean, even after Yeshua was resurrected from the grave, what did he say to Miriam? John 20, verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. That's Yeshua's testimony. My God and your God. Does that make any sense? 
if Yeshua is God, to start calling his Father God? John 14, verse 28. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. That makes no sense. That statement makes no sense if Yeshua is God. Yet he clearly states here, my Father is greater than I. Again, listen to Yeshua's own testimony. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Yeshua answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. His own confession is he is the maker of heaven and earth. We know the testimony is that God made the heavens and the earth. You read it in Genesis 1. Elohim. God made it. John 7, 16, Yeshua goes on and says, uh, Yeshua answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Yeshua's doctrine is not his, it is his father's, who's identified as the only true God, by the way. His doctrine is not his, but his father's. John 12, 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Interesting. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. We're building a serious case here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah all should be made alive, but each one in his own order. Messiah the firstfruits, afterward those who are Messiah at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom... To God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Testimony after testimony after testimony. I'm going to end here today because I can see you're getting really nervous. We are doing this. Do you see what I could do? Do you see the power I wield, if I was to come in a room and I started laying the smack down, like today, and people who are discovering their Hebrew roots, and they've discovered that the church has corrupted everything, here we go again, the church has also corrupted this. You'll see how quickly I will take you off the path, and it's about worship. I will take you away from worshiping Yeshua, what we have been commanded to do, and I, your prayers will circumvent Yeshua. Your entire life will go around to circumvent Yeshua. And you will go only to the Father. And then you're going to be surprised at the end of days. Because no one comes to the Father but by Him. Amen? So what we're going to do is we are going to continue next week. And there's a little bit more I want to add. But I promise you, if you hang with me, you will be so equipped and so prepared to deal with this deception. It will be to the praise of Yeshua. Amen.